Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help. Hello, hello friends, how is everybody? Well, good. It is good to see you. I'm thankful that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, the second week of Advent as we move from the beauty and joy and hope uh, that we found in hope to peace. Uh, that's where we are tonight. My name is Matt. Uh, if you're new to Mosaic, just want to welcome you here. It's a real privilege to get to worship God, to pray together, to go to his word as one. Um, there are a few announcements just to just to cover as we move on. The first one you saw, the, the elder ni uh, nomination season uh, is coming to an end, and so we ask that you get your elder nominations in, in as we are a church that uh, is led by elders, and we want to prayerfully enter into the this is important time. Um, also, you've seen over the last couple of weeks, um, the gift is a really important part of who we are as Mosaic, to be the kind of church uh, that looks around us, looks into our city, looks throughout our world, and that we have the opportunity not just to give our time, not just to give our talents, but in this unique season, that we can also be the kind of people that give our treasure. Uh, and, and so the gift is a special way to bless local churches, partnering uh, ministries and missionaries across the world. So we want to encourage you to do that. Um, speaking of missionaries, many of you know the Kings, and uh, we love the Kings. Hey, Kings, can you stand up for us? You guys have modeled faithfulness. You've uh, just modeled the purity of speaking the gospel in word and deed, and we're so thankful and so grateful for you. Uh, and just as you're here is the, the last one before you go back this time. We just want to pray uh, together as a church and send you guys out well. So I know we're not going to lay our hands on them, right? We're going we're gonna to do this right COVID style. But can you just kind of like hold a hand in their direction? Hold a hand in their direction. And we're just going to take 20 seconds, if you can, in silence, if you can pray for one of them. And then I'm going to close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love the kings. We love how you have used them, the, the influence that their uh, just steadfast love going forth has been. Uh, thank you for the lives that have changed um, for eternity because of their witness and their faithfulness. And I just pray, God, that I'm inspired. I pray that we as a church would be inspired where you have called us, you have planted us. Lord, I pray for their safety. I pray for their hearts. I pray that you fill them with hope. And as we talk tonight, I pray that you fill them with peace as they go. Thank you so much for their friendship, for their partnership. In your name we pray. Amen. We love you guys. Thanks. Hey, last week um, we introduced hope 
as we talked about Advent. You may remember a few weeks ago from Romans 15 that the God of hope fills us, that we may overflow with hope. And we just, we reflected on that overflow uh, portion of the identity of who God is, that we get to be welcomed into that as we live and we act and we overflow into our world around us. Well, tonight uh, we talk about peace, and I'm reminded we just got done with the series on Thessalonians and from 2 Thessalonians 3.16. And now may the God of peace give you peace as you trust him more and more. Peace doesn't come in more effort. Peace doesn't come in arrival. It doesn't come in winning. It doesn't come in adding. It doesn't come in subtracting. As Paul wrote to the letters in the Ephesians, peace is a person. And that's where we put our hearts, that's where we put our worship, our focus tonight is that peace is in Jesus Christ. He is the deep sighing breath of gratitude and just gratefulness that we all seek. So we want to start tonight as we put our hearts upon Jesus and receive his peace with a, with a confession on peace. So you can uh, look along with me or close your eyes and just uh, pray in your hearts. Oh Lord, our God, peace in every season. We need you. We face shifting shadows of anxiety and fear in this life. Sometimes we can feel like we are surrounded by hidden dangers. Sometimes we can feel like the caverns of uncertainty threaten to disable us. The advent of Christ renews our peace. You have come. You are near to us. Your peace is bright like a torch that chases shadows away. Your peace shines like a lamp in the hand of a dear friend. You arrived to bear the most dreadful on the cross for us. King Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. Thank you for coming. You are our peace. You can stay seated as we sing this hymn together. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile. The Son of God appeared. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice.
would you soak in this good news tonight? Jesus, we sing together.
Isaac. We miss you guys. We pray that this week y'all will be filled with the spirit of peace. Hi, Isaac. We miss you guys. We pray that this week y'all will be filled with the spirit of peace. Hear now from the word of the Lord. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 14, 25 to 27. How are you this evening? And it's not too early to say Merry Christmas, is it? Well, then Merry Christmas. Hey, last week, uh, Nick Rowland kicked off our Advent series and he said something that caught my attention and I've been hanging on to since I heard him say it a few weeks ago. And that is hope is not something we wish for. Hope is something that we what? We wait for. And so 2,000 years ago, the people of God were waiting and waiting and waiting because the Messiah had been promised to King David a 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. In fact, the passage that Nick looked at last week that talked about the promise of the Messiah, it came seven centuries before Jesus was born. If hope is something that we wait for, Israel had been waiting for centuries. And Israel's book of Proverbs tells us that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Sick means to be worn out. And you know what happens when you get a worn out heart, right? You find no peace. No peace and Israel was a people of no peace, living in a land of no peace, with Roman occupation all around, all because their promised rescuer had not yet come. So hope was deferred until, until that winter night, uh, that night that we just sang of, oh, blessed night, when Christ's first advent happened. In Jesus, hope was realized, and therefore, Peace, not just for Israel, but for us, is ours if we center our peace on the right hope. We finished the last uh, closing portion of last week's Advent series or uh, service looking at a benediction that comes from Romans 15. And there we see that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Do you see how hope is tied directly to your peace and to your joy? Yeah, I've heard it said that uh, joy is peace dancing and peace is simply joy at rest. And both of those are founded on a hope that is rooted and anchored in God. So in Jesus, our hope is realized. Therefore, peace is ours if it's rooted in the hope of God. We're gonna look at the promises of God that anchor us into his peace. And what I'd ask now is that our hearts would be teachable enough to almost more like a sponge receiving water rather than just a rock where water splashes off and then dries later. Could we pray and ask the spirit of God to tenderize our hearts so that we would lock into his promises and see where peace comes from? Heavenly Father, right now we believe that uh, we are here celebrating the, the life of Jesus who has come because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is come because he's a promise keeper. He will come again. So because you have worked, you are working and you will work. We ask you now, would you lock our hearts into the promise of God that's found only in your word and through your character? Open our hearts. We're listening. Open our hearts and plant a seed deeply inside. We want it to bear fruit. It's in your name we pray, amen. So have you ever noticed about how we, how we talk about peace? 
Maybe the way you talk about it personally or the way your friends talk about peace, our definition tends to wrap around something that centers around the absence of chaos or smooth circumstances or when life gets back to normal. How many times have you heard that phrase lately? Or maybe when everything is under control. Is that not the great delusion of life? When has everything been under your control? But we think that when that happens, that will give us peace. But that's not how God defines peace. You can't read the story of God from Genesis to Revelation without seeing a theme of peace that, trans, uh, that uh, transcends all the way through it. It starts in the garden and it finishes in the city of God. And over and over again, in much troubled times, God keeps offering a peace that comes only from him. And the Bible uses the word shalom, to describe that kind of peace. It's a Hebrew word. If we were in Israel right now, we would greet each other with shalom. And when we said goodbye to each other, we would say shalom. It's a word that simply means wholeness. A wholeness, a completeness that brings rest, that brings quiet to your soul, that brings this wellness in your life. It's a complete and total peace inside and out. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? And yet it's so attractive. There's not one of us that wasn't built with an appetite for shalom, the peace of God. Well, last week in that first message in the Advent series on hope, we, we anchored that message in uh, the book of Isaiah. And we saw that hope was rooted in the birth of the promised rescuer, and that when he comes, he's been given a name. And the name is Prince of Shalom. He's the King of Shalom. And he comes in the birth of Christ. Seven centuries pass from when Isaiah made that promise to when we open the New Testament. And look at Luke chapter one as Christ begins to dawn. Luke 1.26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. All right, do you remember our typical definition of peace? It's the absence of chaos. Well, this angel's announcement of the birth of Christ is anything but an absence of chaos for Mary. In fact, Luke makes sure we know what's going on inside of her heart and her mind, and he, he uses two descriptions. He, he says she's greatly troubled, and she wondered. Another translation of the uh, New Testament says she was thoroughly shaken and totally confused. You and I would say, no peace. No peace. See, if Mary's gonna define peace by the absence of chaos or feeling like she's in control in this moment, then she has no chance of peace. Mary doesn't know it yet, but the next word out of the angel's mouth will create a whirlwind of turbulence in her life. Look at verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. So the Prince of Peace, this King of Shalom, will come to mankind as a man through Mary's body. And this pregnancy will change everything for her. I mean, at face value, the first thing you have to know that's going on in her mind is this pregnancy means broken dreams. Mary's engaged to Joseph. He's a local boy in Nazareth. Joseph's a good man. He's not a wealthy man. He works hard with his hands, but 
He's a man of high character. Joseph's a descendant of King David, but what Mary loves about him most is not his royal bloodline. She, she loves his noble character. She's grateful that her family has arranged a marriage to Joseph. And this pregnancy likely means that will be over. A broken engagement, most likely. More probably, she'll have public humiliation. I mean, how will family and friends respond to her with what seems to be adultery? And there's even a slim chance this could mean death because the leaders of her synagogue could choose to execute the harshest penalty under the law for adultery, stoning her to death. So at best, this angel's message to, to Mary means she'll be ostracized. At worst, death. Hey, if peace is going to be defined by smooth sailing, Mary has no shot. But remember how God defines peace. It's shalom, a wholeness that brings rest and peace and complete wellness to all of humanity. And that's what the birth of King Jesus will bring. Look back at verse 32 and 33, and you see what the angel is saying. Mary, something much bigger than you and just your pregnancy is going on here. This child will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. This is God's greater shalom, God's lasting peace that comes through this global macro plan of salvation for all peoples who place their faith in the Messiah. And this macro plan starts with disturbing this one young lady's peace. And she's glad, and so are we. She would sacrifice her temporary short-term peace for the, the grand scheme of global shalom that God will usher in for all eternity. Through the angel Gabriel, God issues Mary an invitation. And it's an invitation to Mary to trade up to a bigger story of peace. It's one beyond just her life and what she can manage and control and keep chaos at bay and pleasure close, but instead to trade up to something bigger that God is doing. And as she trades up, fear will subside and peace will be restored if she will surrender to the greater will of God in her life. See, in this moment, Gabriel is saying to her, Mary, if you want real peace, you need to trade up to the bigger, deeper, truer plan of God that's a work for your life. Folks, this is a huge invitation on the table for her. How will she respond? Look at the next verse. How will this be? By the way, following the will of God doesn't mean you have all the answers. <laughs> her first question is, how can this happen? But then the angel's answer is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Oh, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. See, Mary doesn't fully understand how God will work out his plan, but she knows that God is at work and she wants to join him. She cannot imagine going back to a small definition of peace that's wrapped only around her circumstances. No. In fact, I think for Mary, an opportunity to go back to her trouble-free life would be disturbing to her because she's already seen a glimpse of the bigger thing that God wants to do in her life, and so she says yes to God. And in my opinion, one of the most beautiful lines spoken by a, a human being to the Almighty God is in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be done to me as you have said. 
And the angel left. Why? Because her question had been answered. She now understood what peace means. This is a woman filled with shalom. She's at peace right now, even in the midst of the unknown. And she tells us much about true peace. You see, real peace, true peace comes first and foremost from surrendering to the will of God. i
Hey, Mosaic family, we're gonna take a moment just to rest in that same posture that Mary had as she encountered the angel that day and as she said, be it unto me. And before we sing this next song, I would like us in that posture of receiving and of, of bowing to the Lord in that way, I'd love us to read a passage of scripture together and just have a moment to, to pray and reflect over this story. In light of Emmanuel, God with us, the peace that he brings that we're celebrating tonight. I know that this past year for all of us has been pretty wild. And as we at Mosaic were seeking clarity this year, um, and still are seeking clarity in our walk with God and in our future, our presence in our city as a church. I don't know if you're like me, but I have felt a, a lot less clarity. I felt pretty confused. I felt pretty upset at times. I felt like there's mud over my eyes. Like I can't see clearly. One of my good buddies brought this story to me a couple weeks ago about Jesus healing the blind man, washing his eyes with mud. And it's been my prayer ever since. And the Lord has given me so much peace in that. God, as I feel like my eyes are muddied, like I can't see, like I'm just sitting in darkness, Lord, would you wash my eyes? Would you wash the mud away? Would you walk me into light? So this story is gonna be on the screen. It's just a couple verses. Um, take a moment to read this scripture by yourself or together with your spouse or your kiddos, or your friend if you want to. And we'll sing this next song after you guys finish reading this passage. So go ahead. Help us to walk into light as we feel blind and muddied or scared or afraid or angry or bitter. Jesus, we pray that story just over us. Wipe the mud from our eyes and allow us to see by your spirit. Oh, Jesus Christ, who brought light into this world. Humble to a manger, 
out, church. With the who dwells among us, who casts out darkness, who unveils our eyes, who calls us forward and calls us higher. We look to you and we love you. Amen. You know, I've done enough marriage counseling over the last 25 years to know that there's always two sides to every story, right? What if we take a look at Joseph's side? of this story, his perspective. The gospel writer Matthew in, verse, in chapter one says this, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You remember our big question? What brings peace? Where does peace come from when, when life gets disrupted? And Joseph's answer is a lot like our answer. We just tend to think that peace happens when when life can get back to normal. How many times have you heard it? How many times have you said it this year? When the pandemic is over, when this situation, when the financial crisis, when the health issue, when the problem is over, then I'll have peace. But for Mary and for Joseph, there's no going back to normal. Pregnancy has a way of changing things forever. And so they're not getting their old life back. Joseph's strategy, though, is familiar to us, and I can't blame him. It's one that I try to employ all the time. If we can't get back to normal, how do I just get through this as easily as possible? You see, he's just been dealt a devastating blow. It seems as though betrayal is at hand from his fiancée. Mary has shattered his dreams, and he will not have the future he envisioned either. His reputation in the small town of Nazareth, it's been tarnished. And yet Joseph doesn't want bad to get worse. He's not trying to create drama, and he doesn't want to make things harder for Mary than it already is. He just wants to get through this as best as he can. He's just a guy trying to find a little peace. Look at the next verse, verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that's the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this angel's visit is not a return to normal that, that Joseph was looking for. for. For a man who just is trying to get a little peace from a hard situation, 
This is anything but peace. Joseph now is going to have to find a new normal. He's going to try to explain to his family and friends that uh, this baby growing inside of Mary is not his. And at the same time, he's going to try to persuade his family and friends that, that in the same time, it's not someone else's either. And she was not unfaithful. How do you think that's going to play out in his small town? Yeah, if Joseph's definition of peace is getting through the disruption quietly, well, then he joins his fiancée, Mary. He also has no shot at peace. And yet, in the two names that the angel gives to Joseph, we see something deep about the essence of peace that every human being needs. Notice the first thing that the angel says is, you're going to name him Jesus because he saves his people from sins. And then secondly, you're going to call him Emmanuel because God is with us. And right there in the text, we see our greatest need. We need God to deal with the sin that separates us from him. The two core issues that we all wrestle with is sin and separation from God. Every lack of peace we experience is nothing more than the symptom of that real disease. And only like a good God, he comes to deal with a disease and not just put Band-Aids on symptoms. We need to be delivered from the sins that separate us from Yahweh, our God. You shall call him Jesus because he saves us from our sins. You shall call him Emmanuel because God is with us. See, I know that we think that our greatest distress comes from external circumstances. Again, maybe the health crisis, maybe the financial issue, maybe the relational chaos, maybe the grief of a loved one gone, maybe the job stress, maybe the pandemic. These bring real pain, but they're not the deeper distress that we deal with. We need the promise of God's salvation and we need the presence of a saving God more than anything. Without this, peace will never be experienced. You see, peace comes from the presence of a saving God. And in Jesus, we have the promise of salvation from sin. In Emmanuel, we have the promise of the presence of God. Remember we said at the very beginning that the peace can be experienced when it's rooted in the hope of God and his promises. Behold his promise. He has come to pay the full and final price for our sin. He has come to be with us. He, the source of life, never wants to be a part of us and us to be abide in him and bear the fruit we were created to bear. That's what brings a deep and true peace. It did for Joseph. Look at his response in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And now Joseph joins his fiancée Mary, his wife Mary, in surrendering to the greater will of God. Men and women, this is a great couple. This couple is the original power couple. <laughs> They're a great team because they actually join together in oneness to chase after a bigger will of God regardless of the personal circumstance they find themselves in. See, they believe that anchoring themselves in that will of God will bring a peace, a shalom like no other. And they are trusting in the fact that God, he'll be present with them. The saving God will be present. See, Joseph and Mary show us where peace comes from. We see that real lasting peace comes from surrendering to the will of God. The deep, true, real, lasting peace comes from the presence of a saving God. 
And guess what? That's where our peace is found as well. That's how all followers of Joseph and Mary's boy, Jesus, find their peace. The heemstras in that video they sent us of them lighting the Advent candle of peace. Did you notice that they quoted John chapter 14? John 14 is the season, the scene where Jesus is in the upper room at what we call his, his last supper with his followers. He's taken bread and broken it, distributed it to them. He's taken the cup, he's passed it around and said, drink, this cup represents my blood, which will be poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then he says in John 14, my peace, my shalom, I leave you. My peace is not as the world gives. And he gives us the invitation to trade up. We experience the peace of God from surrendering to the will of God and from recognizing the presence of a saving God. And that's why believers for 2,000 years have gathered around a table. They've taken a cup and they've taken the bread. And Jesus says, every time you gather, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? The character of God and his promises. We anchor our hope there and therefore experience Peace. Would you open up the bread? One day the sound in the worship center of that kind of communion will go away. Until then, we enjoy the shalom of God. Would you take the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ, and eat in his honor? And the cup, which represents his blood poured out for the forgiveness of all sin. Drink in remembrance of him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks, O triune God. We thank you for Jesus and his coming. We thank you that he paid the price of sin on the cross and that he conquered the grave with his resurrection. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is God with us even at this very moment. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are calling us into the greater will of your work. We follow and we thank you for the presence of a saving God while we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, before we leave, uh, we're reminded that it is God alone, God's a peace that fills us, that we may overflow. And so from this place, we scatter. We scatter into the world, into our neighborhoods, into where we work, where we play. Uh, and, and what we like to do at the end of each service is just put up some questions. This would be a great time to write them down, to snap a picture, to reflect on them as you go to your families, uh, as you go to your disciple-making communities, even as you start conversations with those people that you're around. So maybe this first question uh, from Mary's example of obedience. In what area of life do you need to obey the will of God? What area is God putting on your heart right now in search of peace to surrender and submit your will to him? And then the second question from Joseph's point of view. In what area of life do you need to experience the peace that comes from the presence of God? Is there a specific spot that's felt far away? You've longed for, you've searched for, you've, you, you've asked God and it just feels distant. Where's that area and who can you tell it to? A person that you can trust as we seek the peace of God to fill us that we may overflow. Augustine's favorite quote, that our hearts are restless until they find its rest in you. Aren't you thankful for a season of the year like Advent? 
where week in and week out, through our gatherings, but also through our scatterings, we are reminded where our rest and where our peace comes from. And so now as we close, let me just encourage you, not just in the month, but in the day, the gift of Sabbath that is tomorrow, that you would go asking God these questions. God, where do I find my peace? We find it alone in you. Mosaic, we love you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, We're encouraged by what God is doing in and through this body, through this city. We love you so much. Go enjoy your Sabbath. Have a great week.